Let us now turn to Jonah for our text. To Jonah chapter 1, let us read a number of verses there and we'll isolate our text. Jonah and chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 11. Let us read and hear the word of God. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows, and so on. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless to us the public reading of his word. We want to highlight again this week with you from chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 15, as our text. Jonah chapter 1, verse 15, for our text. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Now we looked at this text last week, but we did not exhaust it. And last week, the title that we give to the sermon was Man Overboard. Man Overboard. And therefore, to all concerned, when Jonah was thrown overboard, it was to his death. None of them expected what we, know, what we now know by revelation. The behavior of the sailors and Jonah provides many lessons for believer and unbelievers alike. And that's what we want to focus upon today. Because without any shadow of a doubt, when these men, these sailors, these hardy seamen, when they actually threw Jonah overboard reluctantly against their wills, against their best intentions, but they did throw him overboard, they believed, so did Jonah, that this was his death. This was the finish of Jonah as far as his earthly pilgrimage was concerned. And the title I'd like to give to the sermon this morning is Jonah's Funeral. Jonah's Funeral. And I want to draw three things. I want to look at the sailors' actions, I want to look at Jonah's actions, and then I want to finish by looking and considering the Lord's actions. First of all then, the sailors' actions. We have to conclude here that the sailors' actions was exemplary. They behaved themselves exceedingly well. 
we start off with them being idolaters. And when the storm came, they began to call upon their gods. They were heathen. They knew nothing about the one true and living God. And they were living according to the way that they had been brought up. But there was a mighty change that came upon them. And we will reflect upon that later. But as far as their actions were concerned here, their actions were exemplary. Consider, they had every reason to be furious with Jonah. If you could put yourself in their position, you would have every reason to have lost the plot with Jonah. You could have utterly detested him for what he has brought upon them. They lost their cargo. Their lives were in, in danger. The whole trip was ruined because of Jonah, because of his disobedience. The trip would have been a financial disaster. Here they were in the midst of a terrific storm that they could well do without. They would expect some kind of foul weather on their trip. That would be normal, but this was supernatural. This was God doing something he had never done before to them. And it was all because of Jonah. And therefore, they had every reason to be extremely angry with him. Can you imagine with this, with this trip, this commercial trip where they hoped to go to Tarshish, and with their cargo, they would offload the tar cargo, and they would hope to make gain, buying and selling. You can imagine what it was like when they left Joppa. Here they were thinking, well, we're going to go to Tarshish. We're going to make so, so much money there in Tarshish. We're going to buy some more goods in Tarshish and bring them back to Joppa. And we're going to have a great time. It's going to be great, greatly rewarding to us as far as finance is concerned. We'll be able to support ourselves and our families. And we'll make another trip and we'll make more money. And everything's rosy as far as they could see. But all of this changed. It all changed because of Jonah's disobedience. And you would think under the circumstances, they would be extremely glad to get rid of him. But no, they didn't. They were extremely reluctant. Jonah told them what they had to do in order for the storm to be abated. But they did not obey that instruction from Jonah. Instead, they sought to continue rowing in order that they might get to land or they might get to some safety. But it did not happen because the sea was continually tempestuous. And they came to the conclusion that this is what they must do. They recognized that in some way this was the will of God for them. But why did they resist for so long? Well, I put it to you, they resisted for so long, friends, because of the law of God. The law of God, which was in their hearts. The law of God, which is part of our makeup. And we might say, by using modern words, it's part of our 
DNA. It's in us. It's part of the image of God. He has put his law upon us, written his law upon our hearts. Yes, we know that because of the fall, because of sin, that law is not as clear as it once was in Adam and Eve. But nevertheless, the law is there. It's smudged. It's out of focus. It's scarred, but it's there. And this law will affect us. And this law affects you. This law affects every single one of us. And there are no exceptions. That's why the preacher, the gospel preacher, can go anywhere. Anywhere. And he can speak and preach the gospel. And he can outline the law of God. And he will have an audience. Or he might not have a pleasant audience. And he might not have an audience who will want to hang around. And he might have an audience that will put their fingers in their ears so they don't hear. But they have a conscience. And the law of God registers with their conscience. And this is what happened here. And we would particularly think it was that sixth commandment that registered with them. Thou shalt not kill. And when it says kill, it means murder. That's what it means. It's lawful on some occasions to kill. It's lawful to kill animals for sacrifices in the Old Testament. It's lawful to kill in a time of war. But it's not lawful to murder. And this is what restrained them. Pagans as they were, or at least at the beginning of the journey, they were pagans, but they had this law upon their hearts. And wherever you go, friends, you go from one end of the world to the other end of the world. You go to civilized societies, and you go to pagan societies, and you go to societies that are not so advanced as we are, and yet you will find that the law of God is still there, and it still registers on people, and people know that murder is wrong. And to take someone's life unlawfully is wrong. And it doesn't matter what the law of the land will say, it's wrong. It's against the law of God. In Genesis chapter 9, and verse 6, after Noah came out of the ark and the flood had receded, God says to Noah, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And that was after the fall. And man, in some sense, is still made in the image of God. And part of that image is that the law of God is in our hearts. And we cannot run away from it. Jonah tried to run away from God. But friends, we have people today, maybe even people in our midst here this morning, who are running away from the law of God. They're running away from their conscience. Well, you cannot do it. And these men realized it. And it was only when it became abundantly clear that this indeed was the will of God for them that they had to do it. 
but they resisted as best as they could. Here they were in a storm, in a horrendous storm, and the person who caused it was there, and they wanted to preserve his life because the fear of God was upon them. The fear of breaking God's law was upon them. And therefore, that's why we would conclude here that their behavior was exemplary. It was notable. It was noteworthy. It was noble. Now, is there a lesson for us here? Well, yes, it may be a painful lesson for us, but there is. There is a, an application for us here in Partick this morning. The truth of the matter is, sometimes unbelievers behave better than believers. You will know that in your own life. You will note sometimes that your behavior is not consistent with the gospel. It's not consistent with a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And very often, unbelievers can show up believers. This is what happened here. We're going to look at Jonah's actions in a moment, but side by side, these pagans, these unbelievers, acted in many ways better than the prophet himself. Sometimes, friends, the worldling behaves better than the Christian. And therefore, we are to stir ourselves up. We are to realize that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we have as our great king and head Jesus Christ, the one who went about doing good. And none could find fault with his behavior. Now, we're not going to try to get right with God by our works. This is not what the minister is talking about. But Jesus Christ is our pattern. We are to walk in his footsteps. We know that he has secured our, the forgiveness of our sins because of his, what he has done in Calvary's tree. And we know we cannot add to that. He is our righteousness. He is our righteousness for justification, but he is also our pattern. And we are to walk according to his ways. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 1, where he begins the, the practical outworkings of his epistle. Paul's not normal position was he would outline the doctrines in his epistles first. And once he stated the doctrines, then the application of these doctrines. And maybe it's the case for some of us, friends, we have just got the doctrines, but we haven't got the application of the doctrines. Well, Paul tells the, the Ephesians, after he spoke of mighty things like predestination and election, he then tells them about the implications of these teachings to them that they might live their lives in a way that's consistent with the gospel. 
I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You have been called out of the kingdom of darkness, and you have been called into Christ's kingdom, and maybe you were called as a as a joiner or as a plumber or as a teacher or as a dentist, whatever their occupation, whatever their vocation was, they were to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in that vocation. Were they a stonemason? Well, they were to be a Christian stonemason. Were they a magistrate? Well, they were to be a Christian magistrate. Were they a, a father or a mother? Well, they were to be a Christian father and mother. Were they a Christian son or daughter? Well, they were to be an ideal son or daughter. That's what was required of them. And our behavior must be consistent with the Word of God and with our profession. Paul goes on in Philippians in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The apostle, the most experienced Christian, we might say, that ever walked upon this earth, he presses on. Friends, if he's going to press on, are we not going to press on? Do we not need to press on? Do we not, do we not need to up our game? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Oh, friends, is it not a high calling? Have you not been taken from the, from the dunghill? Have you not been taken from that evil kingdom of darkness? Have you not got a new master and a new ruler? Are you not under the domain and the dominion and the rule of Jesus Christ? Is he not a gracious master and ruler? Is he not the prince of, of the world? And you are part of that kingdom. You have been adopted into the family of God. Don't you see the immense privileges and blessings that belong to the Christian? Oh, the world thinks nothing of us. Well, let the world think nothing of us. Does it matter? We're the offscoring of the earth, we are. We're hated. Christians are hated and despised. But you have a high calling. A high calling. A royal calling. A glorious calling. And you're called into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And your behavior is to be consistent with that. Don't let the world show you up. Preach to the world, not so much with your mouth, but with your actions. Is that not what Paul says to the, uh, Peter? Is that not what he says to the wives who have unconverted Christians, uh, husbands? Does he not say in many words, you're to win them over with your behavior? They're to see something different. They're to look at their 
believing wives and they're to see, well, there's something in this Christianity. There's something in it. My wife is different from the wife across the road who's a, an unbeliever. I can see a great difference in my wife, in her conversation, in her manner, in the way that she conducts herself. And the same can be said for the husband. We're not going to pick on the, the ladies. The same can be said for the husband. And the same can be said for every Christian. There's to be something different about us. Because we belong to Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, we have Jonah's actions. Now, we noticed last week that initially, Jonah did not behave as a man of God should have behaved. He was more than simply a believer. He was a prophet. And the word of God had come to him on another occasion, and it, it had come afresh to him on this occasion. And that's a wonderful privilege for someone to receive the word of God. This was something that other believers did not have. They did not experience. There was only a limited amount of prophets, and Jonah was one of them. And the Lord had chosen to speak to him on a previous occasion, and now he had given him a fresh commission. What a wonderful privilege that Jonah had, but he didn't live up to it. He didn't. And last week we noticed, and we believe it's true, and we're not going to contradict what we said last week, but we did notice last week that we felt that Jonah lost his sense of assurance because of his disobedience. Why did we say that? Well, we said that because the mariners asked him a number of questions. And one of the questions was, What hast thou done? Or what, what is thine occupation? In verse 8, what is thine occupation? And Jonah was not able to answer. And we felt there that Jonah had lost his way and lost his assurance. He wasn't sure where he was because of his disobedience. But there's another side to Jonah's actions. And as we look at it, as he comes nearer the point when he's about to be thrown overboard, his actions are quite noteworthy. Now, we're not going to contradict what we said, but here, friends, we find that as he's coming near the end, as he is approaching what he thought was his death, his actions are actually quite noteworthy. And this would tell us, friends, that believers can be extremely complicated individuals. And from one moment, we might lose our assurance, and another moment, we might retain our faith. For this is what happened here. Notice, friends, how well-behaved Jonah was towards the end. He was going to face his death. He was resigned to the will of God. That's quite remarkable. Someone who we said earlier, who in some sense had lost his assurance, who was not sure what he was about, but now as he's coming to the end of his days, as he thought, he is prepared to resign himself 
to the will of God, and he is prepared to accept what lies before him because of his disobedience. We may have said that he, in some sense he lost his assurance, but he didn't lose his faith. His faith was still in the living God. He still feared God. And therefore, he was submissive to the law of God and to the word of God. It's very noteworthy, friends, that here, when Jonah's about to be cast overboard, the sea is roaring and tossing. The sailors, they're all agitated. They're all upside down. They're all alarmed. The only one quiet is Jonah himself. He is resigned to the will of God. And therefore, he shines forth here. He tells them what to do, that they are to throw him overboard, and he is going to cast himself upon the mercy of the living God. He was at peace with his God and was ready to face the consequences. He was ready to meet God. Surely then we can recognize that his behavior here at this point in time in the narrative is praiseworthy. He remembered that he feared the Lord his God. But here, friends, Jonah reminds us of one greater than Jonah even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's why we read from Matthew chapter 12. You see, as a result of disobedience, Jonah is cast out to his death, and the soldiers or the sailors are saved. Jonah had to die. Jonah had to be cast out. He had to go into the deep in order for the men to be saved, in order for them to go on to Tarshish and to continue their journey to safety. And it reminds us about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there, there is obviously a difference. Christ, as a result of his obedience, dies on Calvary, and his people are received as a result. Jonah, through his disobedience, is cast into the sea, and he brings about the salvation of the sailors. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his obedience to the will of God that was devised in eternity, that Savior who came from heaven went to the cross and undertook everything that was required of him by God in order that he would be able, by his death, in order to pay the price of sin and to save his people. Jonah, therefore, reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a greater than Jonah is here. And we are to call upon this one who alone can save, 
Jonah had to go overboard. And Jesus Christ, no matter how much we, must, we might dislike it, how much we might think it, it's against our, our civilized society, any people abhor the cross and the gore and, and the blood and the horrible nature of the cross. But nevertheless, it is the wisdom and power of God. And it's the only way to be saved, to believe upon that one who was crucified, but who rose again on the third day and who is now exalted at God's right hand, making intercession for his people as a result. Jonah then, with all his faults, and he had many, but by the time he was ready to depart, he was reconciled to God. Friends, there's a lesson here for us, is there not? What about us? We're all mortal. We're all heading towards eternity. Can we honestly say that we have made peace with God? Can we gather on our deathbed and cast ourselves upon the mercy of God? Is this something for us? Can we say this honestly? Well, if we cannot, it's high time that we did, because this is the day when the gospel is being proclaimed to you. This is the day of grace when you're to call upon Jesus Christ. And friends, we are encouraged to do so because he will turn none away. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and whosoever cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. No wise cast out. No reason. He'll not cast anyone out who comes to him in faith, trusting and relying upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well then, briefly and thirdly, we want to look at the Lord's actions. The Lord's actions. Now this is under the surface here, but we go back to Jonah's original commission. He was commit, commissioned to go to Nineveh, and he was commissioned with a simple message to tell the people that in 40 days Nineveh would be overthrown. Now of course, with that message that was to be proclaimed, a message of judgment, when it is being proclaimed, it is implied when the message is proclaimed that there is hope for repentance. If there was no message, there would be no hope of repentance. But when there is a message that judgment is coming, it's implied that judgment can be averted through repentance. So that was God's intention. He sent the prophet off to Nineveh in order to preach that message. Jonah didn't believe. He, didn't, he was disobedient. And we know the result. We're looking at it today. He's been thrown overboard. But was God's actions thwarted? Was he fettered by Jonah's disobedience? Even in Jonah's disobedience, the Lord was active. We don't know how many mariners were here, but it's quite clear that following this incident, that the mariners were changed individuals. They were no longer crying out to their heathen gods. They were crying out to the one true 
and the living God. Jonah, by his disobedience, had actually been the means of their conversion. This itself should have stirred up Jonah. If he was really thinking, here were men who began their journey with him as pagans, and now they were followers of Jehovah. God was working even through Jonah's disobedience. These men were brought to faith. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. These men, after the storm would have ceased, the likelihood is they would have carried on their journey to Tarsus, which is in Spain. These men would have brought their experience to the people of Tarsus. They could never go anywhere without mentioning what had happened to them, how they had encountered the great God of heaven who sent a storm to correct a disobedient prophet and their experience in it and how it changed them and how it changed their outlook. And they would have gone to Tarsus and they would have evangelized with, with whoever they came in contact with. We don't know, maybe their residence was in Tarsus. We don't know these things, but they would have gone there and they would have brought this message and their experience to everyone that they came in contact with. Well, it doesn't stop there either. You remember the Apostle Paul? You remember that great letter that he wrote to the Romans? If you ever want to really understand the gospel, what it means, read the book of Romans. There Paul outlines in a logical manner the gospel as he presents it. And he sent that letter to the Romans to introduce himself to that church that was established there in order that they might know the gospel that he proclaims. But do you know, he was only going to Rome as a side issue. He was only going to Rome just to meet with the brethren because his real intention was to go to Spain. And it would not be wrong of us to say that when he speaks about going to Spain, it would be to Tarsus. That's really what he wanted to do. He wrote this letter to the Romans because he said, I'm on my way to Tarsus or to Spain, and I'm going to call upon you on my way to Spain. For instance, Romans chapter 15, verse 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. There, friends, he is telling the Romans, basically, I'm going to stop in Rome because I'm on my way to Spain, to Tarsus. God is working. God was working in these sailors. 
They would have brought the word to Tarsus. Paul was going to Tarsus. God is way ahead of us. He's far more advanced than we imagine. He is working out his plans and his purpose, purposes even in disobedient people. God is always at work. And we are to cherish that thought. And we are to be in, encouraged by that thought. Oh, we're not to be encouraged to be disobedient. Far from it. But even when we see disobedience, God is not fettered. God cannot be stopped. He is way ahead. Generations ahead. Centuries ahead. Is this not an encouragement here for this small congregation here? Here we come. We, we come week after week after week. We seek to be honoring the Lord our God. We seek to be faithful to him. Who knows what the outcome will be? We might pass into eternity. We might not see these things. But you can be assured God is ahead of us. And he sees not just the present, but he sees into the distant past. For he is the one who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Well, here we have Jonah's funeral. A very sad occasion. I've never witnessed a funeral at sea, but it must be an extremely sad occasion to see someone's body's remains cast into the sea. But as we look at Jonah's funeral, friends, we see the actions of the sailors. We see the actions of Jonah. And we see God at work for our encouragement and for our comfort. Amen.